I'm Jay Hughes, producer of Change Surfer Radio, and for the next half hour, I'll be your guide to a sexy high-tech vision of a radically democratic future. Brought to you by the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. Welcome to Change Surfer Radio. I'm speaking today with Dominique Menon. She's uh, an author, screenwriter, filmmaker. She lives in Los Angeles. And she's the author of, among other books, Cinema of Obsession, Erotic Fixation, and Love Gone Wrong in the Movies, Femme Fatale, Cinema's Most Unforgettable Lethal Ladies, The Modern Amazons, Women Warrior, Warrior Women on Screen. And uh, she's working on a book called Suburban Apocalypse, The Debasement of the American Dream in Cinema, and a book about robots and androids and all kinds of cool sci-fi stuff in film. She's the editor-in-chief of Defy Magazine. Welcome so much, uh, Dominique. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry, my, my books are such long names. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's great. They're, they're fascinating names. Well, uh, you, you were just um, about to tell me, and I cut you off because I wanted to get it uh, captured on the, on the show, about your very interesting background and how you got involved in uh, cinema criticism. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's quite unconventional, actually. It's, um, I, I didn't come from um, college or university background. I actually had left uh, when I was uh, my early teens. I moved to Europe, and I uh, lived in Holland and went to high school there. And in Europe, you graduate high school usually at 16. It's a bit earlier, you know, if you do all right. And they have uh, several different levels of high school. It's very difficult. But um, when I came back to the U.S., they wouldn't recognize my um, grades because the Dutch grading system, they didn't understand it. They wouldn't give me credit for it. So they were going to make me do over school almost. And uh, so I, you know, at the time I was living with my mother and talked to her, and she said, well, you know, just... But, you know, why don't you just start working and start paying some rent? So I ended up um, getting a job at her company, and, uh, you know, I thought, okay, great. I'm going to be in the printing business and got into the job, and it turned out that I was working on printing hardcore porn. And uh, doing that, like, full-time, I was a proofer, and my mother was the boss in the other department. Um, they actually called the job, was technically called the stripper in those days, before they had computers that did all of the work and lithography. So I started, I, I worked for about three or four years doing that, and um, it was just really interesting. I, I think it had been a big influence on me in my later work and what I did, because in, instead of, you know, standard education, I, I was, I was learning about one thing. I wanted to know why do all these things arouse men? What is uh, creates fetishes? Why do we have fetishes? And then also, um, you know, I, I wanted to pursue a degree in clinical sexology later. I was just interested in it, but not really to do anything except to write about it. So I kind of uh, went off on a lot of tangents with that and trying to figure out. And it, it, I ended up doing them. Um, reviews of sexual devices and all sorts of things. And it just made me think about um, the human brain and what, you know, what arouses us. And then uh, when you apply that to modern cinema and, you know, and classic cinema, just why, uh, you know, because now and nowadays, if you look at it, it's almost someone told me before the year 2000 that uh, looking at a naked woman would become boring, which probably a lot of people will <laughs> disagree about that, but... When you look back at cinema, it, it is really interesting to see the things that did excite us in the past and what excites us now and, and imagine what might excite us in the future. So, Well, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but um, do you think that there is some truth to the anti-porn criticism that porn is changing our erotic sensibilities in the sense that uh, we um, 
we require more titillating things than we would have in the past? You know, that just to... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was what I, I watched happen because I was working in a, in a situation where, I mean, I was, I was an 18-year-old girl working with all men, like one of the few other women in the department. They were with my mother, and um, it was like... Within three days working there, you didn't even see it anymore. And anybody who's been in the industry is like that, where you just, you don't even notice what you're working on. It may be completely shocking. But and the men are the same. They just have no, it, it's nothing to them. And I used to, you know, joke about it that, I mean, especially when it became, when online porn became really prevalent, that it's like, you know, first you have guy and girl. And then it's like, that's boring. You're going to have to move on to, you know, any any sort of other thing. It just goes on and on and, and until you finally only like porn that's like interracial porn between goats or something. I mean, it's just, <laughs> there's, there's nothing left anymore. You, well, know, we, you also see it the mainstreaming of things like BDSM into mm-hmm. contemporary fashion, you know, mainstream fashion. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Okay, yeah. so you got well. Let's we'll definitely come back to that. But you <laughs> yeah. you, you got uh, you became a writer when you were sick. This is uh, that was a surprise in your biography. Is that right? And when you first yeah, got... that, I mean that was well. That was when my first book was born in a sense because um, and it, it didn't really it happened right around that time. Basically, I um I know I I was getting sick and in two thousand four I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had to, the tumor had gotten pretty large, and I had to go in to surgery. And uh, so I had my, my first surgery. They removed about two-thirds of my left breast. And I got out of the surgery, and, you know, still in a shock the first time this happened. And uh, and the first thing I did, I just took a bunch of Vicodin and went to the movie theater. And, you know, it's always been my escape. And the first movie I saw was... Um, Kill Bill Volume 2. So I was like, ah, oh, i got to see that. You know, I'm not going to stay in bed. I've got to see that movie. And uh, I went in there, and there was a scene where Uma Thurman was actually, she gets buried alive, and she's, like, busting her way out of the coffin and digs her way out of the grave. And that, to me, was like, okay, this is me right now, exactly. Cause I really, I hadn't received my lab reports. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. So I realized also um, later that I had a, I had several women in my cancer group, um, you know, several of them passed on, unfortunately, but they uh, they took icons from cinema as well as to use as their strength. Like one of them was really into Wonder Woman and the idea of, you know, she looked at all the Wonder Woman comics and that was kind of what kept her going. So I began to write the modern Amazon and uh, it actually, I had been thinking about it before and then it just got accepted by the publisher like right around that time. So um, I was working on it and it was literally like that. My hair was falling out on the keyboard. I kept having to replace keyboards because I was going through chemo, and it was it was really difficult. But the good part was that I had to watch so many movies to, um, you know, and that that always helped distract me and get me through so much. So, so yeah, and it just it was strange enough that almost every book that I've written, something happened and I got sick right in the middle of it. Like uh, even right down to the last book, uh, I had a rediagnose or a recurrence of cancer again. So. It's really been a struggle. I'd like to work on one book without being sick, but I, I suppose it makes you work harder sometimes. So, so the most recent uh, book was Erotic uh, Cinema of the Obsession, Erotic Fixation, and Love Gone Wrong in the Movies, and that's the one you finished when you had your most recent illness. Now, you're in. You're currently actually in... Femme Fatale was the one that. Oh, Femme Fatale. Uh, okay, that one just came out. This uh, in bookstores right now. Oh, the c- cinema's most unforgettable lethal ladies. 
So yeah. awesome. So yeah. he, you, you, you're basically into the, the strong women archetypes in, in film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just say it kind of blossomed out from there because when I did the modern Amazons, um, the modern Amazons was the warrior woman archetype. It's very, um, very literal translation of a, a warrior woman. Whereas um, wanted to do something where it was a little more psychological and devious and uh, getting into the you know femme fatale. So yeah, because you don't have too many butt kicking women before the seventies, or I guess the bionic woman is the first one I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it started uh, with the all the typical. Uh, for bikinis and uh, you know one million, one million BC. Uh, <laughs> I, I always say that wrong, but it's a the um, yeah. There really wasn't wasn't a lot going on. I think they kind of had to get away with it by making women. You know, they were they were butt kicking women, but they were still sexy and cute and you know somewhat docile when men came around. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then the 80s was a lot more of um victimized women screaming a lot and getting raped a lot and then by the 90s they seemed to, you know, get their revenge in cinema and you'd find a lot more um just a lot more uh, vengeful characters and and very vicious. I mean, I think that's why, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I like Tarantino. I'm not a huge huge Tarantino fan, but just the idea of uh I mean, he he really took it far with <laughs> with um the Kill Bill movies and you know, all the decapitations and homages. So it was quite interesting. Yeah, he's he's a difficult director to like, you know, because he's such, mm. such a flaming, uh, self-centered guy. Yeah, but. yeah, he, he's making those movies for himself, you know, so it's you're going to either enjoy them if you like what he likes or, you know, you, you try to pick it apart too much. I mean, in the end, he's really, he's making what he likes to see, so... So, so what do you see as kind of the landmarks of uh, pivotal characters who, who really changed the landscape for strong females? Like for me, it was uh, Terminator 2. The, I had the picture of, um, of Sarah Connor uh, loading her rifle on our refrigerator for years because I considered her like the archetype of the buck-kicking female. Yeah, yeah. I would say that was right about the turnaround. I mean, I, I recall seeing um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the theaters, and that I remember thinking, even at that time, like, wow, that's that's really different, because it wasn't even just one character, and it wasn't a woman as a sidekick or anything. It was mainly female characters, and, um, and you know, they were really fighting in that. So I, I remember thinking that, but, but Terminator, oh my gosh, that was... That was amazing, and and that's definitely been a landmark. I agree. Um, you know, the it, it got carried on. Kill Bill, The Matrix. Um, you know, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, you know, just got tougher and tougher as things went along. Right, Sigourney Weaver in uh, and Aliens too, where she has the whole mother against mother thing going on. Mm-hmm. That def- yeah, definitely. Well, you find a lot that they they go through. I mean, GI Jane was coming out. You know, it was. It, I mean, this was still it was still shocking that an actress would shave her head for a part. You know, and uh, when Sigourney Weaver was um, in the male uh, peanut colony, and she's you know she had her head shaved and everything. It's it's kind of typical. You see that. Mulan, there's always a character that they have to become a man in order to fight like a man. And mm. instead of, and later on, they begin to stay a woman but fight like a man. So I thought some of that was interesting to, to watch how that's changed around as well. Because it, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, you see, you see all of the women are becoming tougher and tougher and tougher, but at the same time, they're still very sexualized. The, the costumes they'll wear and, and uh, 
you know, they, they're, they've got to be sexy and tough. You know, they can't really, you know, look too, uh, too butch. So it's, uh, it depends. But. Well, there's also this hangover from the superhero genres. We have a lot more superhero films being made, but the female superheroes yeah. always are in these skimpy costumes that emphasize their busts. So. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I, I cover a whole chapter about superheroes, um, female action heroes uh, in the modern Amazons. And it was interesting because if you look... There was a list at one point on the internet, and they took it down. I, I wish I still had it, but it was um, a list of all of the female superheroes and all of the males, and the females, what they had been through was just horrific. I mean, it, it would list all of them, and, you know, they'd been raped and mutilated and this and that, and, and most of them became evil, or they would die, or they and all the horrible things happened to them, and that was that, whereas if you looked at the male superheroes, Things, horrible things would happen to them, but in the end, it would become their strength. You know, they would overcome it. Batman's and, yeah. parents being murdered and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man, Super, everybody's had something, you know, they've had things happen to them, but it becomes, um, you know, part of their mythology and it becomes almost a strength. Whereas it was different with women. They just, you know, they became evil after something happened to them or they, you know, they straight out died or things, you know, things went a lot worse. So it's interesting just to note the difference if you were to go through the whole list of um, what the fate was of all of the male superheroes compared to female. But I'm speaking with Dominic Maynon. She's a filmmaker, author, and uh, screenwriter. Now, the films that you make, and I'm Jay Hughes, and this is Change of Radio. Now, the films you make are um, martial arts-focused films? Uh, oh, I, I did work in MMA, yeah. I mixed martial arts. I was uh, covering um, MMA fights, different things. I, I do a little bit of everything. I work on some documentary films um, and fashion. I mean, it's, it's been a little bit mixed about because I, I've mainly been writing books in the last years, but I'm going to be moving a lot more into it in the next year, so... Moving more into filmmaking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said before I was going to write um, four books, and then I was going to move full bore into filmmaking and, you know, screenwriting, you know, exclusively. And uh, now I've written uh, four or five books, so it's a changeover is going on right now. So, so but you're working on two, two, another two more books, so you're working on books five yeah. and six. <laughs> with a, with my, a new co-author, Scott Tapio, who is just brilliant, um, I've worked with him in past in some films, and um, you know, he knows he's an encyclopedia as far as films go. He's great, and uh, so I'm really excited. Plus, he is very progressive in his thinking, so um, I'm going to be working with him on the new books that are um, a little more transhumanist. We're going to be talking about androids and the evolution of robots in cinema throughout time and cyborgs. So that's going to be really exciting. I was really sorry. You, d you didn't get a chance to get to our, our little meeting about that in California. Oh, yeah. I know. I just, I, I came to uh, the, the H-plus summit. I was, I was really excited to go to the Humanity Plus Summit because it was right in the area. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it was perfect because I, I actually was studying uh, for a certain screenplay I'm writing, and it covered every subject I was studying about. So I was thrilled, and then I wanted to meet with you and talk to everyone, but it was just such a, Hectic. you know, uh, act, a lot of activities that weekend. But Well, we, we had a very uh, nice discussion of um, the theme of 
robots and cyborgs and mutants in the film on Friday of that movie. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember I had an engagement that I had to go to. I, I really wanted to hear that, though. Well, we've got all the talks, and we're going to put them up online, of course, so you can download the PowerPoints. Oh, yeah, I was wondering if they but did. Great. It's a, it's a topic that I've been interested in for 20 years. I first taught a course on the politics of science fiction back in 1990, and then I started collecting um, examples from... Uh, literature, television, and film of non of intelligent non-humans and having my students code them about whether they're positive or not. And my basic question has been whether we're getting more positive or more negative images of uh, non-human intelligent others in the in film and, and literature. And I, I'm not seeing a positive trend. I'm seeing a negative trend, which is, which really? is kind of disturbing. But it's basically because of the, the kind of attraction of horror images that uh, there's more X-File-ish and Stephen King-ish kind of stuff bubbling to the top. But um, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how much to over. I'm over-interpreting what's happening. What's what's the themes that you're looking at? Well, I think book? I think it's I think it's starting to change around a little bit. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's not a it's not a scientific survey. But in cinema, I mean, your your book Citizen Cyborg really, uh, you know, that blew me away when I read it. I I was actually working on Modern Amazons, and I uh, was referencing that for um, some of the chapters. But I had uh, I, I was really interested in in what the future was going to be about it, because if you look now, some of the movies coming out, it's before where it was always, you know, androids, robots, you know, AI is evil, you're starting to see a little bit of turnaround, like a, and a little more integration with us. I mean, I, I was really interested when I saw the movie Moon. I don't know if you've seen that recently. I haven't seen that. Um, it's interesting because there's a computer that's very much like Hal. There's, there's the guy working out on a, um, doing mining on a colony on the moon. Well, actually by himself. He's like a contractor out there. And, you know, and you keep thinking that the computer's going to screw him over, the computer's going to do something, because the computer is his only companion. It's uh, voiced by um, Kevin Spacey. And, uh, you know, in the end, it's, it's the computer is, you know, giving a spoiler here, but it's been out that the computer is the, um, has more humanity, really, and the computer is what actually tries to kind of work around its uh, directives to, to save him or give him a chance to, um, you know, to get away. So it was, um, that really blew me away when I saw that. And then Terminator Salvation, um, you know, the, the turnaround in that where you see the guy, uh, you know, he's, he's caught, he thinks he's human, and he looks down at his body and, and sees that he's, he's not human, you know, or he's, or he's, he's integrated now. So. And then he ends up being a good guy in the end. So that, that really got me, too. I thought, wow, the, you know, the thinking maybe is really changing about it. Um, well, I, I, like you, I, I pick out these positive depictions. I saw in, in for instance, in mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, the TV show, that there was a, a gradual humanization of, of some very horrific robots, you know, that had yeah. basically committed genocide against the entire yeah. human race. And eventually, the, even they got humanized. But then you have things like this. There's this movie coming out about uh, the whole planet having been taken over by vampires, and they're tracking down the last humans. I'm spacing on the name of it, but it's it looks very interesting film. And the the premise is that basically vampirism becomes a way for people to achieve immortality, and then becomes so popular. That, yeah, yeah. And, I was just writing about that recently too. I mean, vampirism. Um, you know, looking back at all of our legends, Frankenstein and monsters are are kind of what cyborgs are, in in being pieced together. You know, human parts and and, and science and and uh, vampirism as as a sign of immortality and androids. I mean, I think that all of the old legends seem to have this uh, 
new modern equivalent now. But right, have you seen True Blood? Yeah, yeah, I saw True Blood, and uh, so I, I uh, my my last co-author James Orsini is a is a complete vampire expert. He's written many books on the subject, so he'd probably be a good one to talk to about this. But um, but yeah, it, it's quite fascinating the different because even even at the summit, it, I think that somebody asked the question, you know, who would who wants to live forever and was surprised that not everybody was raising their hands about it because uh, I think people are really um, ambivalent about that. But when I look at things like, in my case, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with cancer, always fighting that, and just wishing that, you know, okay, it needs to last long enough to, you know, before some more enhancements can be made, some things can be done, so that uh, I, I think people make too much of the idea that, you know, pain and suffering is part of the human existence and that, you know, it's, it's what makes, you know, we create art from it, all of these things. Well, we don't complain that we're not in the dark ages anymore and that, you know, <laughs> we don't die of these simple diseases and we can live past 30, you know. Right. I mean, we, we still need are more able lice. to make art and have a life. But. Less fur, more lice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Well, I'm really looking forward to that project. So that's going to be structured around, uh, have you thought about how you're going to structure the book? Is it structured around you know, like a chapter on robots, a chapter on cyborgs and things like that? Or Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're looking back. I mean, I, a lot of my books I do, it like the, um, the Amazon book I did, it was almost like an evolution, like when we first saw robots in cinema. So um, we're talking right now about exactly how we're going to structure it. Um, you know, we're going to try to cover as much as possible because at least this is a subject where we have a chance of covering, you know, you could count at least how many films have, um, you know, robots or androids in them, whereas when you take a subject like a femme fatale, it, it gets astronomical trying to keep up and you always have some fans complaining, oh, you left out this or that, but... But um, but on that subject, I really the main the main goal is to show the evolution of um, the way they looked visually, for one thing. I mean, when you have your lost in space, you know, all of these tin can robots and the creation of the humanoids, and then um, you know, up to now, Terminator Salvation, and you know, all of when they're completely integrated with um, humanoid appearance. But there's also, I mean, we're going to have a section on just sex, um, sex with robots, and all of the um, uh, everything in, that would come under that, basically, and, and relationships and love with robots. There haven't been a lot of films. I mean, Blade Runner, to me, that's like, I mean, that's probably my favorite movie of all time, but um, I mean, it was way ahead of its time. But I think, you know, you look at some of the other, uh, you know, movies about robots or androids, and they're always really hokey or corny. You know, you have mm -hmm. Making Mr. Right in the 80s with uh, the perfect man, apparently, was John Malkovich. I don't know where that came from. Right. <laughs> but well, there's a lot of silly things out there. there true Science, been... right? What did you say? True Science. Isn't that the one where the two boys make the perfect girl? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, there was another one. Well, there's a few. There's another one called The Perfect Woman, um, you know, but all the way back to Metropolis and... and and creating Maria, and uh, it's it's kind of a, a Pygmalion myth. I mean, it. Uh, I, I actually want to go all the way back to, um, you know, just when people were making dolls and and uh, and uh, these toys and trying to, you know, golems and wanting them to come to life. You know, is, um, I want to go back that far and, and introduce it, and then just go all the way up to now and try to look at our attitude about it and how we've changed and how the how the films have changed because it's so interesting that cinema in a way it's just like our collective consciousness i mean we it's the beta testing ground for 
everything new. Something, I mean, the first interracial kiss being on Star Trek, um, you know, everything that we want to try out that might be a little bit taboo or a little bit racy, you know, you can do it not only in cinema, but especially sci-fi. That's where you can get away with it. So I think it, uh, it's interesting to see what they're posing now every day. I, mean, I just saw Avatar as well, so... Yeah. Uh, and you know surrogates so there's just there's so many different interpretations of how um, it'll be in our lives whether it's um, you know and we have some that are not humanoid like on moon and and, uh, and when you look at like how whether just this all encompassing sort of a godlike being that runs a whole ship or, or runs a whole universe to you know actually having just a compan- friendly companion you know you've got your R2-D2 and Star Wars and all of the you know, there's a lot of uh, friendly robots out there. So, it's, you know, do we consider them as servants? Do we consider them as slaves? Will they rebel? All of the questions that are posed in cinema I'd like to cover. So. Excellent. Well, it struck me earlier when you were talking about how you latched on to the powerful woman in cinema as a kind of healing archetype for your, your own healing process from cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a part of the reason that I'm so fascinated with these cultural images is that uh, I started studying Tibetan Buddhism when I was a teenager. I'm not a Tibetan Buddhist anymore, but um, it was too Baroque for me. But uh, one of the reasons I kind of drifted out of Tibetan Buddhism was that I, while I was attracted to the notion of using kind of archetypal images as a as a meditation, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't relate to um, you know medieval Tibetan images. <laughs> yeah. you know, for me, uh, Spider Man, Superman, you know, those are the kinds of images of the actualized human being and and ways of of being in the world that I would like to emulate. And and so I, I, I I'm kind of trawling. I'm looking at these uh, cultural images for that kind of, uh, Im- the way that they touch and, and reflect aspects of our inner archetypes. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's interesting, um, just to follow how it changes. I mean, I try to, in my books, I, I don't like to give opinions so much. I like to just present the evidence um, and let other people come to opinions about it. I, I noticed, I'm, I'm actually, I don't even, I'm not really even a film buff. I don't consider myself one. Um, I usually work with someone who is, just to be sure we're really covered, but um, I notice more the um, sociological patterns going on over time, like just in simple things, like I'll notice that, uh, that like with the Amazons, and, oh, women are, women are using, tend to use these sort of weapons, you know, you'll see a woman using a bow and arrow, and, and or women using um, just poison, you know, devious weapons, and then how it how it compares to men. So, I'm trying to apply that to androids. I mean, I find there's a lot of. I, I did do a chapter before in the modern Amazons about um, women who were half breeds in a sense, either with um, either with half breeds like they were part human and part android or artificial intelligence, and sometimes half breeds with animals. But I noticed that in Cinema and TV, they're always like really beautiful and perfect. You know, they'll be like um, someone like I don't know, Seven of Nine. You know, with, mm-hmm. uh, or it'll, it'll be a I mean, species. You know, it's always a supermodel who plays these parts. And um, you know, why do we consider? You know, do we look at really beautiful women as, as almost alien, like they're ice queens and unattainable for you know for men? Or why, you know, why do they, they seem to have that um, almost a inhuman attitude when they're that beautiful and, and combined. But um, mm-hmm. so I, I, some of that, it's interesting to look at, but I, I like to hear other people's opinions about it as well instead of just, you know, telling people what to think about it. So. Cool. 
I really appreciate your coming on today and uh, wish you the best. So uh, the, we've been talking with Dominique Menon. She's an author, screenwriter, filmmaker. She's written uh, most recently Femme Fatale and look, we're looking forward to her new projects, uh, Suburban Apocalypse and her book about robots and cyborgs and that kind of cool stuff. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Change Surfer Radio, a sexy high-tech vision of a radically democratic future brought to you by the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies and produced at WHUS stores at the University of Connecticut. I'm Jay Hughes, the host and producer of Change Surfer Radio and executive director of the IET. If you want to learn more about the techno-progressive perspective of Change Surfer Radio and the IET, or you want to share your thoughts about our programs, email me at director at ieet.org. You can find the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies at ieet.org. You can subscribe to a weekly podcast of Change Surfer Radio and listen to or download all of our shows since 1998 thanks to archive.org. So educate, agitate, and organize, and I hope to meet you in a sexy high-tech and yet radically democratic future.